Things aren't looking good for those trying to cross the Cook Strait. For the third day running, one of Bluebridge's ferries has been stuck sitting in the dock with engineering troubles. It follows more than a month of cancellations of the inter-islanders' kaitaki sailings while it fixes a dodgy gearbox. An inquiry is underway to find out why an inter-islander ferry lost engine power in the Cook Strait last night, endangering the lives of 800 passengers. I'm going to be honest, everybody was frightened. Oh, they put life jackets on us. That was not very reassuring. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, what's going on with the Cook Strait Ferries? It's one of the country's most important transport and tourism links, but why are so many people and goods being left stranded on the wrong island? Problems with the ferries that sail between Wellington and Picton aren't new, as we'll find out. But this summer, both the Inter-Islander and Bluebridge services have been plagued by cancellations and mechanical issues. Georgina Campbell is the New Zealand Herald's Wellington Issues reporter. She's doing an investigative series on the ferry failures called Dire Strait. They really are causing a lot of chaos. It is just incredibly disruptive. I mean, the problem with the Inter-Islander fleet, which Kiwi Rail owns, is that their ferries are reaching the end of their 30-year working life. So this basically means they're becoming increasingly unreliable. This year alone, we've had a mayday call, probably the scariest of uh, any situation I've ever seen with the ferries. The 800 passengers aboard the Kaitaki Inter-Islander Ferry were relieved to finally arrive at Wellington Ferry Terminal on Saturday night after the ferry lost power in Cook Strait in three-metre swells and very high winds. Um, at the moment, the safest place is uh, on the ship and I ask you to remain at your emergency stations. A mayday call went out just after 5pm with passengers asked to don life jackets and assemble at muster stations. It lost power in the Cook Strait. It was drifting towards Wellington's rocky south coast. Luckily, in that case, they did narrowly avoid disaster. But look, there's also been mechanical problems. And of course, this has resulted in cancellations and thousands of passengers being left stranded on either side of Cook Strait. It was just depressing, to be quite honest. It's just happened again and again. It's not just happening to us. There is hundreds and hundreds of people on the road. The crux of the problem is that the ferries are getting pretty old. The Kaitaki, for example, um, that was built in 1995. So if you think about the ferries having a 30-year working life, they really are starting to be pushed to what I would call the upper limit. But perhaps I think these recent reliability issues it does really raise that question, doesn't it, of how far do we push these ships and, and how acceptable is it to have these reliability issues towards the end of their life just to get a, a couple of extra um, years out of them? Um, I think that Kaitaki incident with the Mayday call um, sort of threw the spotlight on the ferries, but they have had problems uh, before this as well. Actually, they have a very long history of problems spanning decades, um, but certainly last year, there were a lot of issues because uh, one of their ferries, the Kairahi, was taken out of action for a whole year, actually, and I think people forget that. 
The ageing fleet's prone to breakdowns. The Kaiarahi's gearbox won't be repaired until well into 2022. That is far worse than anything we've seen this year in terms of you know ships being available to take passengers and freights. This ship was out for an entire year while they fixed a gearbox issue. That was also highly disruptive. So what are these more kind of historical issues that they've had in the past? I'll take the Adateri as an example, because currently the Adateri is the only purpose-built ship in Inter-Islanders' fleet. You only have to look on Inter-Islanders' website and they fully acknowledge that the Adateri's introduction to the Cook Strait route uh, was challenging um, at best. The ship lost power on several occasions in Wellington Harbour and was left drifting. There was an incident with a trawler in 2003. The bow of the ferry put a hole in the fishing boat's starboard side and crushed it against the wharf, causing a hole in the port side as well. The harbour master says about 20,000 litres of oil poured into the harbour from holes and splits in the 98-tonne boat. In 2005, it did an unscheduled 360-degree turn in the harbour. The Maritime Safety Authority says an electrical fault caused the rudder to move out of control and the ship turned 360 degrees inside Wellington Harbour. The authority says it suggested the ship be taken out of service as a precaution, but it was told the problem had been fixed and the ship then sailed back to Picton. The authority then ordered the ship detained in Picton and it was banned from using Tory Channel on its way there. In March 2006, it set off from Wellington on a particularly stormy day. Um, The ship actually rolled heavily several times during the crossing. An investigation has been launched into whether the Inter-Islander should have made a Cook Strait crossing that left four passengers injured on Friday night. The Arateri ferry was battered with 10-metre swells. It took seven and a half hours to reach Picton and several cars and trucks were damaged. Five rail wagons toppled. And then in November 2013, it lost a propeller in Cook Strait. The Inter-Islanders travelled ferry Arateri is being investigated again after a shaft snapped and the propeller fell off last night as it was crossing Cook Strait. And apparently Inter-Islanders staff received regular reminders of this particular event on social media. So look, that's just the Arateri and that's the purpose-built one. You know, I think all New Zealanders uh, will be feeling that uh, these problems potentially aren't, aren't that new. Georgina says there have also been some problems with the Inter-Islanders' rival, Bluebridge. That's a commercial operation as opposed to the Inter-Islander, which is owned by Kiwi Rail, Kiwi Rail being a state-owned enterprise. Look, they have had problems, and I don't quite understand the root of their problems, which have also been very problematic this year. They got a a new ship, which has had a previous life, but a, a new ship to their fleet, the Connemara, and it was sailing for hardly just such a small amount of time, and then it had to be taken out. Today, Bluebridge's newest vehicle taken out of action for the second time in eight days because of engine issues. So there have been mechanical issues there as well. And of course, when one operator, being the Inter-Islander, is already under significant pressure, if the other one starts having problems, then it just is 
carnage it really is i have been speaking to some of these passengers who have been badly affected by it and bluebridge passengers uh, you know have certainly had their fair share of problems um there've been reports of passengers camped out at a service station and checking the terminal three times a day to see if a standby sailing has become available one person got so frustrated he allegedly kicked down the door at the terminal others are sleeping on the floor crammed into their cars and actually there was one instance where police were even called to Blue Bridges terminal in Picton due to a large number of irritated passengers who'd had their sailings cancelled now all they did was a foot patrol confirmed there were some loud and upset people and there were no significant issues but that I guess just paints a picture for you that it's not uh, happy days at Blue Bridge either. What about people who are getting the inter-islander? You've, have you spoken to people who are experiencing issues with that? Yes, I think one of the big problems is for people who have cars, because obviously that takes up um, extra space on ferries and it's special allocated space and it's harder to, to take your car when there's a squeeze on services than if you're just walking on board. So there have been quite a few people who have tried to get on sailings multiple times. You know, they haven't just been caught up in this saga once it's like two or three times and so um, some people have been forced to abandon their cars in Picton and then they'll fly home to wherever they are in the country um, and then try and arrange to fly back to Picton you know to get a sailing with the car to, to get the car to the other to the North Island only for that sailing to then be cancelled as well and they've got to start the process all over again I mean can you imagine it just sounds like an absolute Absolute nightmare. And now the Commerce Commission is investigating both Inter-Islander and Bluebridge over how they've handled customer refunds. There were loads of complaints basically to the Commerce Commission, including one from Consumer New Zealand. We do have a, a background concern that you know a commercial decision's been made here to run the existing ferries down. They've been sitting with the Commerce Commission while it assessed those complaints and it has decided to open investigations into both Cook Strait Ferry companies. What are they complaining about? They're complaining about the refund process, I guess making a booking on a service that you feel that you should be able to rely on and then it turns out you just can't. So the investigation is going to examine whether consumers have been accurately informed of their rights to refunds or reimbursements following the disrupted trips. So it will It'll be really interesting to see what comes out of that. Well, this is a pretty important route for tourists and freight. It's pretty much part of State Highway 1, isn't it? It's absolutely an extension of State Highway 1. Just to give you an idea, the Inter-Islander, for example, operates about 3,800 services, and those services transport 850,000 passengers. This is yearly. 250,000 cars and $14 billion worth of freight. So it is an essential route in New Zealand. If you've ever been on one of the Cook Strait ferries, you've probably seen plenty of trucks loaded up with freight rolling on and off the ships. So how's the trucking industry faring amid the ferry chaos? Don Kalassi is the acting CEO of Ia Ara Aotearoa Transporting New Zealand. I would speak to two um, areas where those delays can be significant. And and one would be time-sensitive goods, like food and produce. And clearly, whilst we can keep those goods refrigerated for a period of time, 
at the end of the day, depending on the length of delay, in the worst case, those goods will perish, or at least they will lose value because they're just getting to market slower. But the other area, um, I think, which is even more problematic is uh, the transport of livestock. And I'm talking, you know, uh, sheep, cattle, deer, or tr that travel over in, in livestock crates. The risk to them with uncertain delays, particularly on hot days in Wellington with little breeze, which, believe it or not, there's, there's many more than you think. Due to that lack of air circulation, that can lead to those animals overheating and literally dying of heat exhaustion. So that's clearly that, that significant. What kind of freight is taken on, on these ferries? So we're talking the Inter-Islander and the, the Blue Bridge. Pretty much everything travels by road, really, apart from um, bulk goods. And when I say bulk goods, I mean things like coal, but gee, I think we have a little poster that shows, you know, there's about, it, it looks at a, a club sandwich and it says there's about 32 truckloads involved in moving the goods for that, to provide that club sandwich. So, you know, anything goes by road. As I say, animals, car parts, medication, yeah, you, you name it. There's not really any alternative? That's correct. Clearly government's um, in investing in coastal shipping. But be bear in mind, um, road is used because of the benefits it brings. So clearly whilst there's absolute good use of coastal shipping, it does tend to be used for bulk, non-time sensitive freight. What about air? Do you use that at all? There are products that travel by air, but the price makes that some, somewhat prohibitive. What contingencies are there in place for the transporting industry if you can't get over by ferry on a normal day-to-day -day basis? Frankly, if, if the goods have got to the ferry terminal, right, there is very little contingency. It's just the reality of it. And, and so it really it becomes more a case of trying to manage the impacts, the risks to that freight. And so there needs to be some um, degree of prioritisation as to, you know, if there's only limited sailings that when they do come available, um, whether there needs to be some freight shifted forward of others. But that's pretty much it. Putting aside uh, the impacts on the actual goods, Right, themselves. And as I say, I talked about um, fresh produce and food and, and livestock, but that's, that's the impacts on the goods themselves. There are other consequential flow on impacts. Customers themselves or people waiting for that freight to get to them, there's flow on effects to them. And those impacts can be pretty complex and vary widely. So we aren't able to quantify them, but clearly there is a loss of productivity related to those people that were waiting for some goods, not getting them. And then the third area of impact is the impact on the road freight service provider. And I'm talking about the impact on, on those trucks, those drivers and the dispatch teams. Because bear in mind, the transport fleets nowadays, uh, there's considerable planning goes into ensuring that they're utilised um, optimally. So if the truck was scheduled to get down to... Uh, picked in later on today from Wellington, and then suddenly it can't be got there, then that has a flow-on effect to that truck will not be able to carry on the work that was scheduled for it uh, tomorrow. And so another truck is going to have to be relocated from somewhere in the South Island to undertake that work that the truck would have done had it landed in Picton. And that's obviously not only getting that additional truck there, but it's getting the additional driver there. And so 
that additional fleet and drivers, that comes with additional cost and, and challenges, particularly in a tight labour market. And we also see that look, driver truck drivers have um, or are governed by work time legislation, and that's to manage the risk of fatigue and the like. So if they can't get to the place that they had planned to get, then there's issues with um, their rest time, how they can continue their work. And it's not only the um, the professional aspect of that, but you know that, that has an impact on their personal lives as well. And uh, I think sometimes those, those impacts aren't well appreciated. It's a vicious cycle and, and, and someone, you know, ultimately the consumer has to pay for all that additional resilience that's needed. You're just needing additional trucks and drivers to be almost on standby in the case of, you know, that, that ferry can't get across. And you're saying that price is likely to be put forward to the consumer who's paying the final <laughs> price for the product. <laughs> Yeah, so someone needs to pay for it, or the truck, the truck uh, company is just going broke. Even like accommodation costs and the like. You know, um, obviously the drivers ha- have to eat and be um, put up in a motel or a hotel. That was all unplanned. Are there any solutions on the horizon? Here's Georgina Campbell again. So basically, their plan is maintenance. They want to have more time for maintenance for these ships, which means that the ships will be out of service more regularly. But the point being that this will be planned maintenance. So we're not going to see these last minute cancellations, hopefully as often, because there will be more regular checks. I mean, the Transport Minister has said Kiwi Rail um, needed to be doing a better job of that, and Kiwi Rail has uh, certainly responded and confirmed that you know the the ships will be out um, of service for maintenance, uh, and um, and future budgets are being updated to reflect that. Um, we've got some new ferries that are coming in 2025. Well, that's the expected timeline, I guess. What exactly are they and what's happening there? They're big ferries. and They're commonly referred to as mega ferries. We're currently designing the ships. The build will start at the beginning of 2024 and the first ship will be delivered in August 2025 and the second ship in May 2026. So we will see the first ship here in New Zealand around September 2025. They'll be able to carry twice as many passengers as the current uh, passenger fleet, um, as well as three times more rail wagons and almost double the number of trucks and other vehicles. So they're going to be big, new, exciting. They're more um, environmentally friendly and that kind of thing. Last time I checked, everything was going to plan at the South Korean shipyard um, where they're being built. So apparently we're all on track uh, for 2025 and 2026. Of course, because they are so big, there's the port side infrastructure that needs building as well. Um, because the port side infrastructure is being built in New Zealand, I will be keeping a very close eye on that because I think actually, you know, and this is just a hunch, I, I feel like that is potentially more at risk of, of not going to plan than the ferries themselves. Simeon Brown, um, National Party Transport Spokesman, has, has had a crack at Michael Wood over this. But Michael Wood does actually make the fair point that the previous national government didn't invest in these new ferries. We're dealing with the, the, the fact that the previous government took too long to replace these ferries. We're getting on with that job. 
this Labor government did when it um, when it first got into government. It put four hundred thirty five million dollars towards these two new mega ferries. So it's fair to say that the government is taking this issue seriously and is certainly you know has certainly moved on it. It's just that it takes a long time to build things, unfortunately. Has there been enough investment? Are we just the victims of years, decades of underinvestment? I think it is a wake-up call in terms of the repercussions of not proactively investing in a timely manner. And of course, we've got all sorts of infrastructure issues in New Zealand at the moment, which also really tell the same story, don't they? You know, I'm thinking of Wellington's water pipes, for example. So we we can't let it get to absolute breaking point before we invest in, in the new stuff. Preferably, you'd have quite a smooth transition without the pain of the gap in between. With no quick fix in sight, can Don Kalassi be confident freight will keep flowing between Wellington and Picton? I think for us, across the supply chain, work a bit tighter. So we're satisfied that all reasonable steps are being taken to use whatever means are available to keep that freight going across the strait. If there was greater certainty and increased confidence that there was some good short-term risk mitigation in place, then I think that would be really helpful. Delays in anything nowadays, they, they create additional stress and strain. There's promises of new theories in 2025. Do you think that's going to help? We'd like to think so. <laughs> we would certainly not expect there would be the same levels of technical-related unreliability. That said, I mean, weather events are likely to increase. It sounds like you're going to need some more kind of contingencies in place, you know, if storms are going to Correct. increase, yeah. uh, you know, even if mechanical problems uh, lessen with yeah. these new ferries, there's got to be some more contingencies in place, eh? Absolutely. I think, you know, regardless of the new ferries, I think it'd be really helpful, as I say, across the supply chain if everyone was much more aware of what contingencies have been developed. And I, th I think that that's sort of the frustration for us to a degree at the moment. We're just not satisfied or confident that sort of every practical avenue has been explored yet. I'm a glass half full person. <laughs> We've got to approach it with positiveness. The impacts are clearly significant, right? And, and dare I say, I mean, I'd argue one of the bigger risks with this sort of growing uncertainty on the reliability of the services is that actually the boat will break down and there'll be a more tragic outcome out in the strait. People do care. There is a lot of good intent. We've just got to be smarter with actually really nailing how do we better mitigate these risks. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Georgina Campbell and Dom Kalassi. Ka kite anō.